Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. I've been battling allergies for years now. Let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available release sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, gang? Welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazdeh. I'm so pumped to have you here with me. Now listen, The Greatness Machine, we're about two things. Number one, people who are living their passions. And number two, those who are creating greatness in the world and doing both of these things despite the odds against them. Each episode, we're going to feature interviews with game changers, business leaders, you know, telling us their origin stories, what made them tick, what got them to where they are now. Why? So it can help you step into your greatness within your life, your business, and your career. Occasionally, you might hear a few solo episodes from myself, moi, as I say, as I leverage my 20 years of entrepreneurship as a CEO and founder to help you grow and level up in your journey to scale your life and your business. So, Come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversation, and I'm stoked to have you here with me. What's up, everybody? Welcome to today's episode of The Greatness Machine. My gosh, we had an amazing episode with Stephanie Paul. Oh, man, she's such an interesting cat. We talked all about her her back in her modeling days in Milan to working with tough actors on movie sets and TVs, and she was an actress playing the President of the United States. Um, so really interesting, just learning about her come up in the entertainment world, up into how she got into the, the world of corporate, and her new book, Unlock the Magic of Story, how she uses that to help teach, her, teach leaders to really step up their game and communicate better, and a lot of the work she's doing, uh, leveraging leadership and neuro- neurology and, and all this cool stuff. I mean, she is such an entertaining and amazing soul. I love her so much, and you're going to love this episode. So check it out. Stay tuned. Peace out. We love you. Guys, welcome to today's episode of The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mashazde, and boy, do we have an amazing guest. My main woman, Stephanie Paul's in the house. What's up, Stephanie? Hey, Darius. How's it going? It's so nice to I, see you. I realized I was like, I always say, my main man. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I don't man. think that's going to work. <laughs> my uh-uh. main woman. Diversity um, and all that, Darius. Yep. D&I in the house. Uh, <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> For listeners who are new to the show, uh, Greatness Machine, we're about two things. We're about people who are living their passions and those who are creating greatness in the world. And Stephanie is neither short of passion nor greatness, and she is back on the show. Gosh, I'm so excited. It's been a couple of years, I think. I'm good. I'm really good. Yes, I'm very excited. I, You know, this weekend, I'm actually recording two online training videos for the Growth Institute. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, So I've been working my butt off scripting. I, I probably need to do that. They, I think I, I was supposed to, and then I flaked on them. But um, <laughs> better you than me. Um, yeah. So so um, do you mind if I give our a little bit of our background to the sure. audience? Sure. I think so, we should. Yes, I think we should too. So the audience, um, as you know, I like to always, if, if there's a personal background, I always like to say this is how I know this person. But So Stephanie I met, we met, uh, as she mentioned earlier, a couple years ago uh, during my book launch, actually. And um, it was actually we have, before that. It was before we, we we were introduced when you were doing your TEDx. Oh my gosh! I think you're right. That's yeah, for, that's, that's forever. when we were introduced. Yeah, that's a that's like what five six years ago, something like that. No, that was ten years ago. Oh so, my god! Yeah, wow. this is this is a really long time ago. Um, I forgot we were introduced then. So so a mutual friend of ours, Mike Cato, actually hired Stephanie to help him do his TEDx talk. Mm-hmm. And and then he introduced us. Um, it was no, it must have been after that because I met Mike after my TEDx. Okay, so well, TEDx. yeah, I think I knew you were doing something with TEDx at the time we met. So, 
we had a big conversation about TEDx because she. This is how we got introduced because um, I don't remember. I think I was thinking about doing a TEDx talk, and we started talking, and it turns out mm. she had done this. She had done this huge TEDx in Iran in Tehran. Was it in Tehran? No, it was in Kish actually. So um, I started working with my mentors, and they're heavily connected with TED. Um, I did TEDx Orange Coast with them and coached about 15 of the speakers. And then the following year, they took me to Kish in Iran. I actually got to go to Yaz, Shiraz and um, uh, Isfahan as well, which was amazing. And I coached 20 of the 28 speakers at that two-day event. We had like 2,000 members in the audience. And then in wow. the following year, I put on my own TEDx, TEDx Mission Viejo. Um, and yeah, so I've coached probably about just over 60 speakers in the TED format. That's 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 big time. I don't know if I mentioned this. So, so my family's from Esfahan. Like my dad and all my. That's like literally. I'm Esfahani. Oh, that's so. so cool! I love the river. The river and the music they play underneath there at night. So beautiful. I don't know anything about this. I I have not been back <laughs> since I was one and a half years old. So it's been about forty two and a half years since I've been there. But okay. um, but I do. Wow. I have heard it's beautiful and it's 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 an old amazing city. And so uh, I didn't know you'd been there. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so we met, uh, through Mike Cato and he said, oh, you gotta meet Stephanie. And she does all these things. She works with speakers and she did this TEDx. And so we met and, uh, hit it off right away. It was a very great inter- interaction. And, uh, and then you actually uh, came on the greatness machine when we first started as a live stream. And, um, I will say the one thing about Stephanie I love most is that you are such, such an entertaining, awesome person. You're the, I used to, I used to sing in the beginning of my shows. And, uh, and I sang, uh, I can't, it was like an 80 song and she's like straight up. You're like doing like the duck dance, <laughs> duck walk, and <laughs> mission walk. And it's really funny. If you ever, I was, yeah, like, I was like in and out of the screen and like, yeah, you're, you know how to use your stage. Um, and so, <laughs> uh, which makes a lot of sense because Stephanie has a big background in the entertainment industry as well as stand up. Um, so we, uh, we ended up having a great show. Um, but today we're here to talk about uh, a bunch of stuff you're doing. So, um, do you mind if I give your formal bio and then we'll you, jump yeah, into sure. The show? Yeah, sure. You can be formal and, like, you know. I'll be like, da, 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 da. no. Uh, <laughs> Drum roll, please. Yeah. So, um, so Stephanie is the founder of Stephanie Paul Inc. Um, she's also saw the author, and we're going to be talking about her new book. I'm going to grab it right now. This is the book right here. It is Unlock the Magic of Story. She's the author of this brand new, amazing book. So, we'll be talking about. Her new book. She's a coach. Uh, uh, she coaches executive teams, sales teams, TEDx speakers, fundraisers, you name it. She's coaching it on a lot of stuff around presentation and team interaction. Um, and she does a lot of work um, with folks around neurology and like how to use neurology and, uh, and to really Secrets. step up as a performer uh, in both business and in life. So we'll get to talk about that. One of the most coolest things that I love about you, though, is that you do have this background in the entertainment industry. You were an actress. You worked uh, in 10 international TV and film markets. Uh, also, stand-up comedian, sketch comedian, uh, I've done improv, director, producer, like all these amazing things in the entertainment side, which you've then parlayed into this business uh, career. So mm-hmm. would love to, like, if you don't mind, take a step back and give us a little bit of your background because I know that you definitely did not start off in the world of business teaching nerds <laughs> about how to be good storytellers and how to, you know, step up their neurology to be better executives. Uh, I'd love to take a step back and you, like how you got into the entertainment industry and then we can kind of move into the business side. Well, I started dancing at the age of four. Um, I started ballet. And then by the time I was about eight or nine years old, I was doing ballet, modern everything but tap, contemporary. Um, uh, then I was about 10 years old. I started doing gymnastics as well, rhythmical gymnastics, and I was doing all of it. I, I, my mother actually came to me when I was 14 and just said, look, you can't do everything. You've got to give up one. So I gave up gymnastics and I started coaching it instead. <laughs> um, so I guess I started coaching at the age of 14. Um, I was professionally working uh, as an actress by the time I was 16 shooting commercials and that kind of, you know, um, took me overseas and things like that. I mean, I was fortunate enough to get a few modeling contracts in like Milan and Paris and um, Hong Kong, Taiwan, uh, New York. And um, then I kind of decided I wanted to get into the um, the film and television side of things. So um, I ended up working as an agent for a couple of years and uh, running the commercial department at my agency. And I started teaching uh, commercial classes around that time. Um, and then I got the opportunity to go to New York. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I didn't do a lot of TV. I did more film and commercial. That was really my background. 
And then when I was living um, between LA and San Francisco, I decided I wanted to get into stand up. So I did that. And then, um, and I'd been doing improv uh, for quite a while before that. So I ended up doing stand up for about 10 years and uh, improv for about 12 years. And um, then when I went through my divorce, um, I wanted out of a superficial marriage and a superficial industry. So I wanted to do something with my skill set and I didn't know what that looked like, um, but I believed it could transition somewhere. And I was teaching an acting class down in San Juan Capistrano in the bottom of Orange County. And one of my students was a professor at Chapman University. And he said to me, you know, you should take this into the corporate world. And I went, no, you're ridiculous. I was like, what do I know about the corporate world? I was going to want to learn acting and comedy and humor skills and, you know, in business. And then the local newspaper in San Clemente, where I was living, did an article on me because I play the president of the United States in two sci-fi cult comedy international films, um, Iron Sky series. And they thought that was cool because of the whole Nixon thing down in San Clemente. And I got a couple of phone calls from my first two clients saying, can you help me with this? And um, and I was like, oh, 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 sure. And that made me believe that it, it was possible to build some kind of business um, in the business or corporate world. And I got mentors and I got coaches and I joined networking groups and I, you know, flummoxed my way through for the first couple of years and then you know people were telling me what are you doing here you should be over here you know your your caliber or your whatever is is higher than this so um one of my mentors said to me you've got to you know find a niche market and I was oddly enough kind of comfortable around biotech and technology because uh that was what my ex-husband did he took uh, um those kind of companies public you know uh, on the stock exchange um he works for Morgan Stanley and uh, I kind of started fishing around the the geek, so to speak, and um, and I got a really good introduction um, to biotechnology through one of my TED speakers, uh, TEDx speakers at Orange Coast. He was really amazing, and uh, he gave me a phenomenal test- video testimonial, and I and he said that I changed the trajectory of his career um, with my coaching. And I was like, you could have told me that before. <laughs> And that's when I said to him, you know, can you refer me? And um, then I got started getting passed around the biotech um, industry. I mean, I still work with speakers and presenters and authors and things like that. But majority of my clients, it's kind of morphed now. Um, uh, I work a lot with women in leadership. And I started helping biotech companies raise money. So essentially, taking their dry data and fact-driven pitches and wrapping emotional content and story around it so that they're able to deliver it so that it engages and influences the brain. Um, because, yeah, we, well, that's what my book's all about, is, is trying to e- explore that what I've learned because I knew I couldn't approach the biotech industry with acting and stand-up skills. That's what I'm going to give you. So I went down a deep rabbit hole to really understand how we communicate and why humor and storytelling engages the brain so well. And the basics of it is, is that we create our messages with our neocortex and our neocortex is only about 200,000 years old. And that is where we create logic, language and reason, right? But that message has to go through a reptilian brain and then a limbic brain or the amygdala before it gets passed up to the neocortex where logic and reason and language is created. Those two brains do not comprehend or understand language, logic, and reason. It's only instinctual, which is your reptilian brain, and the limbic brain is very heavily um, uh, influenced by emotion and also nonverbal. So our limbic system reads nonverbals really well, which is why we have what we call gut instinct with people, right? So we have over 4,000 human behaviors and some of them are micro expressions, but your limbic system reads that incredibly well. Your neocortex has no idea what's going on. It's the intelligent part of your brain. Um, But the limbic system will go, hmm, something's off here. I don't trust this guy Um, because it's reading the nonverbals and it's reading the emotional delivery. So my my understanding though is in, and I want to want to press the pause button here because I, I, I we, we there's no foreplay. We just jumped straight into like <laughs> talking shit Sorry. on the brain. <laughs> like Sorry. whoa whoa whoa, sister! Okay, like, go back, go back. listen, you gotta you gotta romance me a little bit with more story, okay. less less data. Um, <laughs> she's like, but I but I really want to talk about unlock the magic I love story it. book. I love it. Yeah, gotta talk. I'm going straight for the kill D. 
Um, so, um, my understanding is that the limbic brain has no capacity for language, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and so, yep. like, uh, the, as Simon Sinek says, when you hear his start with Wyatt talk, he goes, the reptilian brain has no capacity for language, you know, in his little mm-hmm. accent. Um, so, so to your point, it's the nonverbal that really, you know, that sends us these cues, right? Like, why, how's that person mm-hmm. looking at me or how does this make mm-hmm. me feel? And then from mm-hmm. that, my understanding is we make decisions. Is that, is that correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm going to make a decision right now. I want to go back. Um, <laughs> I want you to want get more to... emotional with story. <laughs> yeah, no, I want to, I want to hear. Yeah. Cause you ran through your story so fast, like of how you got into, um, you know, this world of biotech and, um, and, and obviously like with the biotech side, it's a bunch of introverted scientists who are, you know, probably for the most part, I mean, I'm sure there's not introverts as well, but I'm going to, I'm going to be totally mm-hmm. superficial and characterize them all as nerd, nerdy introverts. The salespeople um, generally aren't, but you know, no, 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 you can't. Yeah. yeah the, those are the people that, that are like the, they're like the frat and sorority people that, that are out there like slaying in the biotech. Um, all my friends from like, like I was in a fraternity, they're like all like selling biotech. Um, so Ooh. those, those are going to be, and they're all super extroverted. Um, so, but, but if you were to characterize like the average biotech, like what percentage of it is like nerdy introverts, if you had to like, generalize. Oh yeah. I mean, a large percentage of it. Um, I would say 10 to 20% is probably, um, more extroverted and I'd say a good 80% of it is, uh, is not so much. I mean, I, yeah. can I, can I tell you a story about a really fun training that I did? Yeah, go for it. I worked with uh, 20 scientists um, a few years ago, and this is one of my favorite stories because it was just so wonderful to watch the light bulbs go on and them get super excited about. And so th- this team of PhDs and, you know, uh, and doctorates kind of, um, they went with the sales team to prove the science. So when the, the sales people were selling they had you know they got to do a five or 15 minute presentation on the science and I worked with them in a workshop training them how to wrap the story and the humor and all that kind of stuff and every single one of these people in the group except for one one kind of resisted the whole process um, at the end of the um, training were able to they'd, they'd implemented humor they'd implemented story and they all got laughs and it was like just so wonderful to watch and this one particular Wait, scientist. These, these were the nerds doing this. These were the these nerds. Were the, these were the nerds. scientists. Got yeah, it. these were the research, like, you know, scientists. And this one particular girl, I'll never forget, she got the biggest laugh of the day. And she was so shy and so quiet when we started training. And I just remember her face going, oh, my God, they're laughing at me. She was just so excited that she had been able to make this group laugh. And um, anyway, I just wanted to That was like the first it. time in her whole life anyone had ever reacted to her verbally saying something in a way that made smiles come across people's faces. Yeah, probably in a professional <laughs> setting. I mean, we, we all make our friends and family laugh, but in a professional right. setting, that was probably her first time. But I, that's, just, that's why I do what I do. I love watching uh, those moments. I love that. I, I was telling someone the other day that I have a gift for making introverts feel comfortable. <laughs> um, and so I was, I was talking to an introvert today and... Um, he started telling me all about Alex Jones's new book. And then we went down some, some crazy conspiracy theory rabbit hole that involved <laughs> how the humans, uh, this is a, according to Alex Jones, which I'm not a, a follower of that. I, and, but he was very into it. He got very talkative and he was super introverted. Uh, nice guy, but, but he definitely uh, likes Alex Jones is, uh, is commentary. And so I guess suppose uh, according to Alex Jones, we are going to be eating bugs. Uh, this is the, the diet of the human race. Um, just FYI, I learned that from a, a, a slightly introverted person today. Um, well, some humans <laughs> on this planet already are eating bugs. Who well, grabs yeah, in I New Zealand? Like, I know. Yeah. Right. Like I was like, I'm like, I'm pretty sure like it, it, I was having this argument this weekend with people because we were eating seafood in Mexico city. And I said, shrimp and lobster are just bugs of the sea. I'm mm-hmm. like, if you saw a lobster that was like not dressed like a crustacean, it was dressed like a land bug and it was walking across your backyard, would you <laughs> like, like, would you think to yourself, man, that three pound beetle looks delicious? <laughs> no, that's, that's like a wetter, like a big giant cave wetter in New Zealand. They grow up to about a foot long and they're goddamn ugly. Ugh. Can, can you eat them? I, I, I don't know. I don't know if anybody <laughs> does, but they're. But you're no. so, 
What's funny is your response and his response was the same, which is like this disgust towards eating bugs. But like, if you ask me like, hey, Darius, do you want to dip that like sea bug in butter? I'd be like, dude, all day long, baby. Like, I love <laughs> bugs of the sea. Um, yeah, yeah. So anyway. Uh, That's but, a good but I, do, <laughs> I, I, I do consider myself a, uh, I'm, 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 I'm very good at getting introverts to feel comfortable. Um, do you think that's because I have a high eye in my desk? Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, and high eyes are uh, people oriented, fast paced. And, you know, I mean, I had this conversation with one of my colleagues who's in science and, and she, we, I ran all their um, assessments um, that I'm certified in, in this group of women that I, that I meet with once a month. And, you know, I was the high D high I in the group. And, uh, and one of the ladies was like, I love hanging out with people like you. Cause you're, you're what I can't be. You know, I'm, I'm not gregarious. I'm not like super talkative and I'm not entertaining, but that's why I like hanging out with people who are opposite to me. And I was like, Oh, that's a nice way to look at it. So then maybe that's yeah. why you can draw them out. I, I actually think that people just like hanging out with gregarious people, regardless of what they are, <laughs> because I like hanging out with gregarious people too. And I'm, and I'm a high eye. Um, so I want to take a step back though, because you know, you, you ended up in this world of like high tech biotech helping people take their companies public and all this crazy stuff with all your magic of storytelling um you know and you're doing work with these high level psychological neurological assessments right this is the stephanie paul today but i want to take like go back to like stephanie paul you're from new zealand is that correct originally yes yeah so like that's like that's not very close to the glitz and glamour of milan in new york and paris but like <laughs> you know i mean like like i mean no offense i mean like no. like when you say new zealand it's that's more like gumboots first... and ugg boots yeah yeah i was gonna say like sheep right and like beautiful sheep, terrain yeah. like lord uh, lord of the rings terrain mm-hmm. um i mean we have so cities too <laughs> i've heard i've heard I, I you know i almost went once i had some friends that bought a, a cafe in nelson outside oh, wow. nelson my uh, family yeah, and, is from that region Oh, okay. Yeah. I almost went and then uh, anyway, long story short, I didn't go, but, um, um, but yeah, I had some friends that bought a cafe and lived down there for a few years. I heard it's amazing. Um, mm. so shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. Hey there friends. It's Darius from Shazda here. And I have a little confession to make. You see, I've been battling allergies for years now. And let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Allergies have been my constant companion. They stop me from fully enjoying the little things in life, canceling plans with friends because of sudden allergy attack to missing out on an outdoor activity because of sneezing fits. Allergies have been a real nuisance. Luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing and a runny nose, itchy watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I've been a Claritin D user for many, many years now. And let me tell you, it's made a world of difference. Since I started using Claritin D, my symptoms have improved dramatically. Now I can breathe easier, enjoy outdoor activities without worrying about sneezing fits, and truly live my life without being held back by allergies. Ready to live as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter now. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear, uses directed. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. In the world of successful partnerships, names like Procter & Gamble, Ben & Jerry, and Supply & Demand echo through business history. But when it comes to growing your business, who are the perfect partners? That's you and Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. We're talking from launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the, did we hit a million dollar order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify magic your AI-powered all-star. Picture this, a time when my business was facing a tough hurdle and I wasn't sure how to break through. But then came the breakthrough moment, a game changer that took my business to the next level. You know, what I absolutely adore about Shopify is its unparalleled ability to adapt and grow with your ambitions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklyn and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 75 countries. 
Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Darius, all lowercase. That's D-A-R-I-U-S. Go to shopify.com slash Darius now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Darius. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So was it culture shock for you to go from this like rather isolated place in the world, which where there's literally there's like more sheep than humans there, right? Um, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, not, it's, it's very like, rural like... and like naturey, and to to then be in like the like this fast paced world of like fashion and entertainment. Um, <clears throat> I think because I was fortunate enough, my father traveled a lot for business, and then when he retired, I was. I was the youngest of four and he was 50 when I was born. So I was like way down there. Um, And they didn't trust leaving me at home by myself and my teens. So they would take me on their vacations overseas with them. But by by then my siblings were all working um, and living out of the house. And so I got to travel quite a bit when I was younger. So I think the first time I went to Australia, I was like two. Dad took us to, with my mother, of course, family trip um, to America and Canada when I was like four um, I've been to Singapore several times. I, I traveled a bit by the time, um, I sort of came home. I actually came home when I was 17 cause I got a modeling contract in Milan and I told my parents because I, that contract, uh, would, was going to start once I turned 18 and I told them I'm moving to Milan in January. <laughs> and was they were this, like, was this, oh. was this high fashion? Um, yeah, I got a contract. I did a lot of runway stuff there. Um, I actually had a Versace job. Uh, and I was supposed to do the Versace collections one year and, um, I got fired at the fitting because my boobs were too big. Oh man. So, what a bummer. Yeah. That... <laughs> Damn so, it. um, I fit the clothes everywhere except in the chest. So, uh, unfortunately, but yeah. Um, so yeah, it was a bit scary. I actually remember, um, the night before I flew out to Milan, a girlfriend of mine came over and we were sitting in my bedroom and I started crying and she's like, what, what, what are you crying about? And I was like, like, I'm terrified. I'm terrified. I'm going to Milan. I don't speak the language. I mean, this was before, you know, this is, we were talking long before internet and stuff like that was super prevalent around the world, cell phones, etc. And she was like, well, then why are you going? And I literally stopped crying and looked at her and said, I have to. So the drive has always been stronger than the fear with me. And when I got there, um, I I got there on a day where the banks were closed because I don't know if this is still the case, but the banks, they would take a month off in August. Everything shut down except for supermarkets and and some restaurants. And I couldn't exchange money. And I'd been told, God knows by who, that I should go there with English pounds instead of lira. Um, Because back then it wasn't the EU. And, uh, uh, I made the driver from the agency who picked me up at the airport before he took me to my pensione, which is like your apartment. To, I made him take me out for dinner and give me 50 bucks. Well, what was worth 50 bucks so that I could buy groceries because I wasn't going to be able to do anything for the next two days um, until the agency opened up and the summer vacation had finished. And I remember I was so terrified because I didn't speak the language and I was there by myself and God, not you know, like it took me – uh, I found like a delicatessen, but I didn't know what anything was. So I bought Coke, you know, and, and cans and breadsticks. And that's what I lived on <laughs> for the first two days. And if I had only turned right instead of left that day, I would have actually found a supermarket. And oh I could have gosh. bought whatever I wanted, fruit, vegetables, you were, whatever. Yeah. Were you 18 years old then? I was 18 years old, yeah. Wow. How did and How then, did you like the modeling world, did you feel like that was like, was it what you thought it would be? Or like, what, what, what's your like big, what are your big takeaway of, and how long did you do that for? How long were you doing modeling for? Um, off and on for about 10 years, various different um, countries. Um, I, if your daughter wants to get into it, I'd say no. 
I don't know how much. I mean, the Me Too movement may have changed it a little bit. Um, I it, as far as what like like uh, like the dirty old men and young men just like leveraging sex yeah, yeah. to like get jobs. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't happen in all countries. I didn't experience it in Asia. Um, I only really experienced it in Europe. Um, but, you know, people take advantage of young girls. And um, there were scenarios where, you know, we were asked to line up with our with our tops off so they could see our breasts. And it wasn't even, I mean, it was, there was a dumb stuff. You're like, like but we're selling with. pants, sir. Yeah, we're selling, you know. I mean, this is a shoe, it, shoe ad. <laughs> I, I experienced from the sublime to the ridiculous. I mean, I, um, I did, I was the hands and feet for one of the supermodels in a, um, Ingaro campaign and it was Amber Valletta. She did all the, you know, face and stuff, but they, you know, she's too big of a star to hang out and get have her feet and hands modeled. Plus a lot of the girls didn't have small feet and a lot of the shoes were always size seven. And I had size, I did a lot of shoe modeling because I was a size seven and I was on her set and I was treated like a queen. I wasn't allowed to touch anything. Everything had to be bought to me. I, I literally was like, this is kind of dumb. Like really? I, yeah, to me, it was like, I, I'm quite capable of picking up my bottle of water and drinking it myself. Thank you. I'm not a baby. And it sort of annoyed me a little bit to be treated with such luxury. Um, one might say. And then I also got treated like a can of soup on the shelf, like lined up and had you know the people who were booking walk past and look you up and down and make you smile and turn around and you know and then they'd point to you okay you can stay you can go um I got attacked by one of my clients uh I won't go into the details of that but uh, the agency didn't believe me and they sent a bunch of girls um out for another casting with this guy and then another girl off to Poland um, cause I was sent to Poland for four days for that job. So, you know, I mean, there was some really awful things that happened, um, in the industry and there were some phenomenal things that happened, but, uh, I had a good head on my shoulders. Some of the girls didn't, they were young. Right. I mean, some parents sent their, you know, 14 year old daughters off to Europe to model. They, I mean, I'm like, are you crazy? At one point yeah. I was the eldest in our apartment. I was 18 and everybody else was either 16 or 14. I had, I had three roommates at that time. Um, yeah. You're like the big sister for like these kids. That sounds like, that doesn't sound that fun actually. No. Um, what, um, so, so you ended up segueing that into a, a career in entertainment industry. Um, tell us a little bit about that because I, I feel like all this has come full circle into what you're doing now, but I, but I do want to give a little more context around that. Like, you, you you moved away from modeling or was it kind of as you were modeling you started doing act, actress or yeah as as i yeah as i was modeling i started doing um commercial work i i went to acting like serious acting classes i'd done you know little acting classes here and there but i started doing serious stuff i mean i'd been in drama classes since i was 10 and commercial classes but i took film and television on camera stuff by around the age of 19 um and uh I did actually the Meisner technique, which is what eventually took me to New York. And then I studied Meisner in New York and that's where I met my ex-husband. Um, you know, and I'm, I've just been really, really lucky because of, because of that I started in New Zealand um, and New Zealand's very heavily connected to Australia that I was able to, you know, work, you know, get flown to places to shoot films and commercials and all that kind of stuff. I always seem to book things that were going to be shot offshore. I, you know, I, I'll never forget sitting in an audition, um, and the sign said, "This it was casted in LA," and the sign said, "Shoots in Sydney, you must have a passport." And it was the second callback, and there ended up being three callbacks on this commercial. It was the second callback, and I remember this girl sitting on the phone next to me talking to her mother, and she's like, oh, my God, Mom, if I book this, I get to go to Sydney, Australia. And in my head, I was like, you're not booking it. I am. Um, because I wanted to go home. I wanted to go home and see my family and I hadn't been home for a while. And I knew if I got to get flown down to Sydney, I could get across the water to New Zealand. And I went to the third callback and the director was there and the director was a Kiwi from New Zealand. And I was like, Oh my God, because this was a, an American commercial. So I was like, Oh my God, this is going to be a test of my American accent because here I am. I'd never had to speak in an American accent with a New Zealander and pull it off. Right. Because why would I do that? But I had at that stage, 
it still wasn't cool to be foreign in America. Now it's super mm. cool to be foreign in English, Australian, whatever. I mean, half your TV right. shows have, have foreigners on them. Um, but then it wasn't. And I booked the job. I got flown first class with an Oscar. We had an Oscar. Um, it was just after Lord of the Rings was um, shot, uh, like won all those Oscars. And the sound guy who won his Oscar happened to be in first class with us. So we got to play with an Oscar and hold it. I've got photographs. It was super fun. Um, and I was flown down to Sydney and here I am speaking in this American accent with all these Australians and Kiwis, like trying to pull it off. And the wardrobe woman came up to me and she goes, you're not American. And I went, wait, wait, can I, can I, can I give, give us your American, speak with an American accent. Um, Just for like, let's do, let's do a one minute of the show with an American accent. Here, here. Okay. Uh, it's easier for me to read something. Hold on. I'll read something out of my book. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. I got to hear this. Is it okay? No, it's just easier for me to like, because then I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to hear like you pretending to be an American because I, I'm always shocked. Well, I I technically someone... I am an American because I, I, I'm a Kawerican actually. I've got the American I know. Passport. I know. You know, what I, you know what I mean. You know what I mean. Okay. If you don't provoke memorable content for your audience, then your chosen objective and reason why not for wait 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 and reason why for your story is without effective purpose how's it <laughs> that's pretty good it's pretty good i i can do valley girl really well like oh my god like darius i just love hanging out with you i mean you're you know the unicorn thing with the pink i i think about it all the time whenever i see a unicorn i'm like oh my god it's so darius <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. All right. In New so, York. So, so, oh my God, Darius. Like your dog is on my carpet. So, <laughs> <laughs> so okay. So, so, so you're in Australia and the makeup, was it a makeup artist? I was like, you're not. No, you're it not. was, it was a wardrobe stylist. She goes, you're not, okay. you're not from America. And I went, how do you know? <laughs> I literally said, she goes, what you're wearing, it's all Glassons. And that was a, that Glassons was a label in New Zealand. And she goes, and, and, you know, you can't get, pull that off with a stylist who knows that your clothes were made and, you know, designed in New Zealand. And I was like, yeah. And I was like, I'm actually a Kiwi, but don't let them know. And she's like, no, no, no. And then later on, I was speaking, who was I? I can't remember. I think I, think I was speaking to the agency. And do, during this whole thing, the agency and the client were arguing back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It was It was not a comfortable set to be on. And the agency found out that I was a Kiwi and they said, do not let the client know. They're super uber pro-America and they will be like, you'll get canned off this if they know that you're a Kiwi. And I was like, oh, so crazy so story. Kept, but Yeah. So you kept it up. You pulled it off. I love that. Mm-hmm. So, so you, um, so you got into the more of the, the heavier acting and um, I know you, when you said you played the role of president, was it president Sarah Palin? Is that the one? Um, well, no, I was made to look like Sarah Palin, but I was, I, when I asked the director, cause it was around the time Tina Fey was doing a lot of Palin stuff. And I was like, I That's can't right. compete with Tina Fey. Tina Fey looks like, um, Palin. And, uh, and he was like, no, 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 you don't have to be Palin. You just have to be a parody of presidents. We just think it's funny if we make you look like Sarah Palin. And I'm like, okay, oh, cool. Gotcha. So I studied George Bush Jr. And my characteristics are, uh, mimicking him or off him because I thought he was the funniest I mean I looked at Obama and a few other people but I thought he was the funniest the way he moved and his gestures and things like that so the character physically is based on him and has a little bit of a Texas accent would you have kept that character if you had shot that in 2018 and Trump was president or would you think you would have done more of a female Trump that's a really good question I don't know I I don't know I'd, I'd, I'd have to I mean Trump does have some very funny. She, I, I mean, he, I mean, before Trump, yeah, of course, every president's a little bit different. But like, and but like George, you know, George Bush Jr. was definitely like the most like you know he has he probably had. I mean, I mean, Ronald Reagan was pretty funny to make fun of too. But. Well, Ronald Reagan was an actor, but I, I mean, I know people that hung out with George Bush Jr. or know him, and uh, and they say he's he's a goofball. He's always making jokes. He's always, yeah. you know, so yeah. I, 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 I was reading, um, uh, what's his face, uh, uh, Dave Grohl's new book, or mm-hmm. maybe it's not brand new, but it's Storylines by Dave Grohl, and he talks about how when he met when he met uh, George Bush Jr. at the White House, and he called him dude, he's like, <laughs> "Go kill it, dude." 
<laughs> and he's like, you know, he's like, I was trying to be all proper in front of the president of the United States. And he's sitting there like, call me dude. Um, yeah, anyway, that's funny. Yeah. That's super funny. So, so, um, so yeah, so obviously you've parlayed that into a, you know, a successful acting career, which is super hard to do. Like the failure rate in acting is like super, super high. And, but at some point you said you, you wanted, you know, you kind of made a huge transition in your life. You ended, you know, a, a marriage and your acting career and, and got into business. Um, what do you think was for you, like coming from this world of entertainment and modeling uh, to, to do that where it's, it's an art, right? You're, you're in the arts um, and to move into business. Like what, what was like your biggest, like, wow, this is different. Like what was like the biggest, this is different moment for you? There's so much money wasted in the corporate world. <laughs> Oh, um, really? it's fascinating to me well I mean I've produced stuff in the film industry and you know I've been around independent film and things like that where every penny counts and producers you know ride budgets really tight and really hard I mean yeah there's money wasted in the film industry as well but you know I I, I didn't I never got up that high you know where um you know I had champagne in my trailer and stuff like that you know uh Although I, I have seen some ridiculous stuff when I've worked with um, some more higher caliber A-list actors. Uh, but no, I think it was a little terrifying for me at first. You know, I think like a lot of entrepreneurs, I went through that imposter sy syndrome, you know, where, oh my God, I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, but I, knowledge is my number one motivator and um, I'm not afraid to dig down deep and learn and learn fast and pivot fast and um you know uh and I'm not afraid to ask questions so I think you know my first I want to say year to two years I, I tried doing everything myself <laughs> and that was just you know like that was hard that was a lot of work um you know I built three websites and um you know just didn't I mean, by the, my you know my second year, I got a, a business coach and I got a mentor and I you know started like reaching out and getting help, um, and it made a tremendous difference in the in the whole experience. Um, and I think what I love about working with business people and corporate people is there's no hoopla. I don't have to put up with, I'm so amazing. I mean, actors can be very weird. The film industry can be very weird. I often say that, you know, when I grew up part-time, I used to work with um, mentally disabled people because my mother did it for, you know, she left her, when I was uh, off to school, she left the job that she had because she ran a crash. She ran a kindergarten. So I got to go to kindergarten with my mother every day from the age of zero to when I went to school at five. When I went back, to, when I went to school, she um, transitioned and started working with people with mental disabilities. And I did that part-time from the age of like 20, like 16, 15, 16, till I was in my 20s because I used to go back and forth from New Zealand. Mum would give me some hours. Um, so I always used to say that I could work in the film industry and it didn't bother me how weird and odd people were because I've worked with mentally disabled people and they've got some really strange, odd behaviors, you know? <laughs> so it was like the film industry was just like, Oh, this is just people who aren't quote unquote, um, you know, in a home, <laughs> so, but so there's some funny. really weird behaviors that happen. And I think, um, in the business world, people are a little bit more quite I, I, normal. I don't, I don't know for lack of a better term and they're more, um, forgiving and they're not like, there are some outrageous egos, but not the, a plethora of them. You know what I'm saying? So I, I felt like people were um, more, they were just very thankful and grateful for what I brought to the table. And I still find that today, um, you know, you have the unicorn, but I, I, I've had people say to me, you're like a unicorn. And cause I don't, maybe it's cause of the way I can translate the information and I, I, how I can, because of my directing background, draw certain things out of people in a really comfortable way because, you know, I'm, I'm essentially pushing people outside their comfort zones and getting them out on right. the skinny branches, you know. Um, and people say to me, how can you make someone funny? And I'm like, well, you're the funniest person you know, so that's easy. I just, I just massage it out of you gently. 
and then you're on your own. Like it's like riding a bike, you know, once you get right. your balance, you're off. I just help people get their balance um, and show That's... them that they can be engaging. So, um, so when you made the transition into the business world and I, and I have a question, I'm going to save it cause I want to move into the book. Okay. Um, it was really, yeah, I, I wanted to say, Hey, tell me the craziest shit you've ever dealt with on the set. But, um, but, uh, but, but, uh, but, but I don't want, I don't want to eat up too much time. So I want we'll to, that'll be the last, I'm going to say that that's the last question I'm going to ask you on the show today. Okay. Um, so, um, you know, when you made the transition, you started working with people to help them, you know, essentially storytell, right? So working with sales teams, helping them. Cause it, like if I'm selling a, a medical device, it's not very sexy, right? I mean, but, but, but people don't buy, they don't buy the, the bullet points. They buy the story, right? They buy like how it's going to help and they want to know it in a human, in a, in a human way, right? Is, is what mm-hmm. I'm guessing. I mean, tell us a little bit about that. Um, I, uh, Mark Bowden, who's a colleague of mine, I was having lunch with him at a, con- a conference that we were both training at one year. Um, he put it in a perfect way. There are facts and there are figures and then there's the truth. And the truth is just the facts and the figures wrapped up in story because this is what your brain will believe. This is what your brain will go, oh, I get that. Um, and sorry, what was the question again? Just to find just so that because that kind of answer, but I just want to give that. More yeah, yeah, to. no, no, you're, you're touching on it, which is, you know, there's facts or figures and then there's the truth, which is the story, right? Which is the, and, and, and you know, the, there's another quote I like, which is there's your truth, my truth and the truth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is all again about storytelling because we mm-hmm. might hear the same thing in different ways. Um, but when you started thinking about how you could help business people through this art of storytelling and whether it's a sales team or an executive team, you know, how did you, how did you connect the dots on that? I mean, obviously you did this story that was written up in San Clemente, a couple of people hit you up, you started working with businesses, but, but you know, how did that lead to what is now the book that, you know, unlocked the magic of story? I'd, lo- I'd love to kind of hear a little bit of that background and then let's talk about the book. Um, well, I, I, in, in the opening introduction, I talk about how the book came about. Um, it was originally written for my clients. So my clients could basically download a section of my brain and understand where I was coming from because it was put on paper. It was in black and white and it wasn't me trying to express things, um, you know, that maybe I wasn't downloading in a, in a great way. And, uh, then, um, I was asked, uh, I was training at the Human Hacking Conference one year and, and, and I was asked, did I have a book? And I was like, you know, uh, I don't, but I will. And I literally used that as my deadline to get it finished. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and then I used your event at MIT to get it published. Um, okay. So uh, that, was, that was when I had it like literally bound and ready for publication to go on Amazon. I, I'm actually going to start doing the um, Audible and I'm hoping to have that done by the end of the year at the very latest, um, published by January of 2023, because I'm voicing it myself and then we're going to take it into the studio and produce it. But uh, now I'm getting off on a tangent. Um, so transitioning all that information to other people is, for me, seemed relatively easy because I just had to explain the science that matched up with the actual skill set and why it worked. And, um, so when people go, oh yeah, I mean, if you've got a brain and somebody explains to you how the brain works, um, or your biology, cause it's, it's part of our biology too, cause uh, mirror neurons are actually in our gut and in our brain. And they're the things that actually make us connect. Um, it's quite easy to explain to someone. Now, can I make them do what I'm suggesting all the time? Not always, because, some people, they let their ego get in the way and it feels too uncomfortable for them to get away from the facts and the figures and the data. And, um, you know, maybe because they've got a PhD and they had to do their dissertation and, you know, I, I haven't done that myself, but I, I've heard it's quite the uh, thing that you get put through. Um, right. <clears throat> and, and when you're used to doing, especially the way we are, when, when we're used to doing things certain ways, having somebody come in and shake you up like a snow globe and say, you know, this is really going to work can be super uncomfortable for some people. So, you know, I, I do it in increments with them um, over a period of time. I don't like show up with all the tools and go, here you go. Cause then that would be like, Whoa, our brains don't like change too much. You know, they, right. they're, 
we're either in comfort or discomfort, but we're always assessing risk. And too much change is very risky for the brain. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. Like giving up a bad habit is hard to do, right? Or and, and transitioning it to a good habit, it takes time. It doesn't just suddenly happen, you know, throw out all your junk food and suddenly just eat vegetables all day long. It don't, we just don't work that way. Um, what, um, so let me ask a question. So if you were to characterize like high level, like what, what is the, the book like teach? I mean, just kind of run us through it, like high level. If, we're, if I'm trying to be a better, you know, communicator, if I'm trying to, you know, be more effective in how I, you know, take someone from A to Z to create an outcome, what is it that the book teaches at a high level that really, you know, brings it home? I think the best way to explain it is just to run through the chapters because I put them in order of kind of where how I teach. So essentially, Unlock the Magic of Story is how to use neuroscience secrets to engage and influence any audience. So I open up with um, manifestation begins with the story you tell yourself, because um, the most powerful story you'll ever tell is the one between your ears. You know, belief and mindset is 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 the most powerful thing we've got, you know, uh, to get us where we want to go. Um, and then I actually, uh, chapter two, I talk about the power of emotions in our biology and explain how emotions are just chemicals and they're chemicals that can be used as tools. Um, and I take, and I explain it from the acting side as well as the science side. Uh, in chapter three, we, d we talk about influencing decision-making and why, how we can influence and persuade through the brain, um, and use some of the, um, acting or, you know, storytelling aspects there. Um, chapter four is about mastering memorization, how the brain works for memorization for yours and for teaching your audience to remember stuff. Um, chapter five is all on laughter, which is my favorite chapter in the book and why humor is so important. Um, chapter six is preparing an engaging story. So it actually gives you a layout, how to prepare a presentation. Um, and chapter seven is on practice. So that's essentially what I teach um, when I work with people because there is no you know, magic wand or pixie dust. And if you don't practice these skills and some of these skills, you can practice every day. Super simple. You want to get better at um, just your non-verbals, which is your tone of voice and the way you um, express yourself, which is a huge part of the buy-in with the limbic system. Read something every day that, that with a, with a, you know, storytelling type voice as if you're reading a, a storybook to a child, then you'll learn how to use um, tonality and intonation and pausing and, you know, and, and develop that, you know, that visual look that you want to give to an audience when you're just speaking. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes total sense because I think sometimes people just show up and just throw up, right? And, <laughs> and, you know, and the I mean, it happens a lot on the show, man. People will come on the show and they're just like, you know, rambling and I'm like, look, Ooh. like this is an hour of your life where you get to effectively, you know, I mean, what are we going to have? 10 to 20,000 people listen to this, this, this episode. Like well, there, there's you know what? thoughtfulness around how you teach what you teach. Right. Because people, pe like the brain needs to trust that what they're getting is valuable and that mm. it's going to, you know, be worth their while, worth their attention. And that it's true. Right. To your point that it's what like you could have, like you could have just said a bunch of bullshit that's fake. And mm -hmm. if, unless it's presented the, and, and you might do it in a way that's super, I guess, compelling and I'll believe you, you know, but, but like, like for instance, that we're going to eat bugs because of Alex Jones. Right. Um, <laughs> well, I'm like you in that sense. Like I believe in paying it forward. I believe in giving more than I get, you know? Um, and uh, so, I mean, I've even got a gift for your audience. If you, if uh, it's the 12 steps to present powerfully, with purpose and engage any audience. And that's 100% free. You don't have to read my book. You, there's some of the tips from my book in that um, PDF, and you can get it on my website, um, stephaniepaulinc.com forward slash powerful gift. So cool. um, you're going to remember my name is stephaniepaulinc.com, Inc., and the forward slash powerful gift. And, um, you know, if you don't want to buy the book, at least you can get some tips there, you know. Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes too. So anyone that wants to wants to connect and get that that gift, that's cool. Appreciate that, and I'm sure the audience will too. So um, we're, I know we're running towards the end of the show here. Um, so for I know you do this type of work with people, getting them ready for you know building more powerful presentations, unlocking the the, the magic of story, as the book uh, it, it has a title attached to that. Um, but 
for you, I know that, that there's other ways that folks are working with you now. We didn't talk about that too much, but I've actually done some of this work with you, um, which was really cool where I took a ton of assessments around the type of human I am. Talk a little mm -hmm. bit about that because obviously we have the storytelling part of your business where you're helping people be better presenters, but you're also doing a lot of work, work with people around, you know, Le neurology yeah, leadership. And, and, and leadership. Yeah. yeah. Leadership let's, let's and communication. For, yeah. yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit. So through the process of after I started my business, you know, I love to get certified in things and get more training and more training and more training because knowledge is my number one motivator. So, you know, I have a life coaching certification. Um, I have a, a leadership certification and I'm certified trainer. So I can train like HR departments or just individuals um, in five biology and psychology based assessments, which is DISC, which a lot of people know, which is um, basically um, what drives you in, in observable behavior, um, you know, and then the uh, 12 driving forces is your internal motivators. Um, so what uh, psychological motivators you have around knowledge and others and resources and things. Um, and then I do EQ, which is emotional intelligence, HD acumen, which is a slice of life of your worldview and your self view as it, you see it today, not tomorrow or last week, just today when you take the assessment. And then DNA, which is basically 25 soft skills where you're developed or underdeveloped in things like leadership, negotiation, customer service, stuff like that. And that's the cornerstone where I start. And it was actually my clients where um, after I got these assessments and started really working with them, they, they realized that these things were valuable and they started asking me to put together trainings for their teams. So whether I've done executive teams, I've done the whole company um, where, um, and you'll love this, where we start with a big, big deep dive on the assessments, but also on values, because values, whether you know them or not, depict your behavior. And then, right. you know, DISC is all about behavior and observable behavior. Um, so those things kind of sort of just morphed organically. And from that, I started working with a lot of women in leadership. So they came to me for one-to-one -one coaching um, to develop their careers, their own coaching with their own teams, um, their own, you know, uh, one of the things that people find difficult sometimes is when they've got major problems going on in the company and they're not quite sure how to communicate with either up, managing up or down um, into how to solve these problems. So they will lay out the problem for me and I'll figure out how to help them how to communicate the issue in a meeting, <laughs> you know, wow. how to tell that story. And it, it, it's amazing the success of it is, you know, we just literally sit there and they tell me and I, I just keep thinking and talking because my brain works differently, right? And I look at the story, I look at really easy way to um, make analogies and then I spit it out while we're talking and, you know, they, clients of mine have taken this information away and, you know, built out their presentation or their 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 meeting prep, and then they use my language or my storytelling or whatever that is that I've helped them with. And they always come back to me and they're like, wow, oh, it's, just, it's just amazing. The other team is on board. We've got all the, you know, we now understand each other's side. It's So I guess essentially I'm using storytelling as a form of mediation, even between yeah. just teams inside companies that are like banging heads because they're not understanding each other. Because at the end of the day, people aren't trying to be difficult. They just don't understand each other and they're different and they've got different problems and they're coming at it from different angles. So story is a great way to mediate as well. So that's, that's, that's an exciting thing that, you know, that's been going on um, with uh, people who have been coming to me and asking for that kind of help. And it's just sort of happened organically. Um, and, you know, some of my women in leadership are now asking that I put a mastermind together so that we can have, business roundtables and mastermind and a little bit of training and, you know, that kind of stuff. So that's going to be on the table in the near future as well. I love that. And yeah, you know, look, stories make the world go around, right? It's like, the, mm -hmm. like, like, like every single thing that's happened in this world is based off of a story that came to life. Right. So I, I love, I love that. I love that you wrote a book again. It's, uh, Stephanie is the author of unlock the magic of story. So you can get that on Amazon uh, we're going to put the gift that you're so gracious to give to the team, uh, to our listeners in the show notes. So definitely put that in there. And um, I'd love to end on one quick story. So I asked, I said I was going to, I wanted to ask it earlier, but I wanted to get to the to the meat of the work you're doing right now. So my story I wanted to know is, you know, like what's the craziest thing that's happened to you 
like in the entertainment industry because i know that that that's as you said it's there's a lot more polarizing personalities and goofballs and weirdos but what's the what's your like what's your go-to story of like the most zany crazy thing that you've ever seen or dealt with um i don't know there, there were a few but um there, there's one particular um, film set I was on. I'm not going to name the movie because, uh, you know, <laughs> then I have to out some of the actors. Um, and uh, the stomach flu went round, right, um, while we were shooting. And God knows how many people got it. I got it on my very last day of shooting. And oh, I was back and forth and back and forth throwing up and running, if you know what I'm saying, on the toilet um all day long like in between takes I was just like oh my oh my god I've got to go you know and I would take off um but there were the the female lead on that particular job um or the two female leads actually were just unbelievably insecure which is weird because you know they were the stars of the show um and I remember um one of them the director had asked us all, all to, and we were from different countries but we were shooting in New Zealand and the director had asked us to go and all the girls, because we were supposed to be playing good friends, you know, um, in the movie to go and sort of get together and have dinner and cocktails or whatever um, a few nights before we started shooting our scenes together. And one of them showed up and, uh, you know, I was living in America. So, and she was like um, chatting away and ignoring me. She was talking to the other actress and <laughs> I don't tolerate bad behavior from actors. I don't care who they are or how big of a star they are. I just don't tolerate bad behavior or rude behavior. And um, she eventually, after probably 15 minutes of ignoring me and talking to the other actors, um, leaned over and said, who are you? How come I don't know who you are? And I said, it doesn't matter whether you know me or not. The director knows me and the casting people know me and the producers know me and that's all that matters. That was my way of telling her, you don't impress me. And she's, you know, up there. And then the other female lead on the movie who was just, she was a pain in the royal backside most of the time. She had people in tears. Um, She wouldn't do as she was told. She even had stuff in her contract that she refused to agree to. Um, And she would lock herself away and wouldn't have lunch with anybody, wouldn't socialize with anybody. And um, on the day we were shooting this scene, um, she was just haranguing the director about this is all wrong, da-da-da-da-da. And it, it, she was talking about a particular sport that I, I've done for many years. Um, and uh, and Wait, what I, and was I said, sport? What, which, which sport? Well, it's not a sport. I'm trying not, to, I'm trying not to give away the... <gasps> Okay, okay, okay. A particular right, so changing, athletic event. It, it's, it's not a particular, sport necessarily. It's not a sport. It's like an athlete. It's an exercise type it's thing. It's a hobby, <laughs> a hobby of sorts. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, I just, I don't believe in like just bad mouthing people like publicly like this, but you know, she was haranguing the director and, um, and I turned to her and I said, have you ever done this particular activity? And she said, no. I said, well, then you don't know what you're talking about because I have for the last two decades of my life and I can tell you blah, 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 blah. Leave the director alone because you don't know what you're talking about. And he turned to me and he goes, can you help out in this situation? And I was like, sure. But I just, when I see bad behavior, and I've done that to a couple of actresses. I've never seen male actors get, well, you know, there's one that I saw. I mean, I that was when I first started my career, so I didn't really – like you know I was, I was an extra on that that set so I never said anything to him but um when I'm in the core cast I have no problem telling them off um but yeah I don't I I'm th- those are probably my biggest stories telling off a-list actors <laughs> because yeah. they're misbehaving I just I just won't tolerate it because it means that they can get away with bad behavior and they shouldn't be allowed to you know yeah no asshole policy screw that yeah Oh man, Stephanie, as always, so fun having you on the show. So uh, uh, people want to want to connect with you. Obviously, they can get the book "Unlock the Magic of Story." That's where all books are sold and on Amazon. Um, but please write me a review if you read my yes. book. Please write me a review on Amazon. I owe you. I owe you a, re- a review yes, myself. You so you, you got one coming for me. Um, what? Um, yeah, where can they connect with you on on all things Stephanie? Yeah. Um, well, LinkedIn, I'm very active on LinkedIn and it's linkedin.com forward slash Stephanie Paul Inc. Everything's pretty much Stephanie Paul Inc. Um, 
in my website, stephaniepaulinc.com. Um, if you wanted to go direct to me, you can email me at help uh, for the number four and the letter U. So it's H-E-L-P, the number four, letter U, at stephaniepaulinc.com. Um, those are really, you know, and don't forget, you've got the forward slash power, powerful gift. Yeah, powerful gift um, on that page uh, if you can get your downloadable of your free information on how to be a powerful presenter. Um, but yeah, that's that's probably the best three ways, um, website, email, or LinkedIn. Awesome. Stephanie, so, thank you so much again for coming on the show. So grateful to have you here and to get to spend time with you again. It's been a couple months, but always great to hang out. Thank you. Thank you, Darius. We're very grateful to be here. Uh, pleasure's mine. Listeners, thank you guys so much for um, checking us out today. We've got many more great shows coming up, but if you love the show, give us a great review. Uh, go check out Stephanie's book. Give her a great review. Until next time, peace out. We love you. You are listening to The Greatness Machine, and that's a wrap for today. Listen, if you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform that you're tuning in on so that you don't miss any of our future episodes. We have tons of great people coming on, and we're, we're stoked to have you here to enjoy it with us. Leave us a review. Tell us what you love most about this particular episode. We love getting the reviews. We love to see what you guys love most. And if this particular episode, you know, made you think of someone who's leveling up in their business and in their life, print screen, share it with them. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we're all here to support and grow with each other. And in case you want to see some of the fun behind the scenes shots or some of the things that we're doing, I'm actually writing about this in my weekly newsletter. Go to www.therealdarius.com and subscribe to my newsletter. We're talking about fun things like business and life and mindfulness and cryptocurrencies and gosh, I don't even know everything and anything, but it's tons of fun stuff I write about. I try to get it out on a weekly basis. You can subscribe at www.therealdarius.com. And with that said, look, thank you guys so much. I appreciate you. I love you. Peace. We're out of here. See you guys on the next one. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.